0: All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Derek Hallett of Sound of Trumpet Ministries, soundoftrumpetministries.com, and we're doing a nine-part series of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit in particular that we're going to be speaking about tonight will be the fruit of joy. The fruit of joy. Now, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we must know that those things that God intends for us to do, though some things may seem grievous, God wants the joy that is in our lives. And not just any joy, the joy of the Spirit, the joy of God, the joy of those things that are pleasing to God, the joy of loving your neighbor, the joys of long-suffering, the joys of just having God say to you one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, you know? So this is the type of thing that we want to have in us that we might be built up, that not only will we do God's work, but we'll have joy in the things that God does. And that's why Jesus tells us many times, be of good cheer, you know, for different reasons. It's it's great that we should know what it is to have God's joy. And we're gonna talk about why that's so important because I think in life, many of us misunderstand this life. We look onto things that people want us to look onto. And, you know, we know that life has its ups and downs, but I don't think we have a full understanding of what this is about and why it's so important that we joy in the Lord, okay? So I wanna get started, all right? I want to go to Genesis chapter three. And I think from here, We're going to go into prayer and go right into the lesson but i want to bring up a big point in genesis chapter three okay all right so this is genesis three let's look at verse one and it says now the serpent was more subtle than any well actually not verse one let's go to verse 15. everybody knows the story of the serpent they know how the devil persuaded eve to persuade adam that they sinned they took the lies of the serpent telling them that they would be as gods, their eyes would be open and they would have all these different things. So it's important that we have an understanding that, you know, we fell for the trick of the devil. And from this point on, we've been living up under Adam's curse. Why is it important that we have joy is because Jesus Christ came 2000 years ago to reverse the curse that we might inherit eternal life. So let's look at this. Let's begin in verse 15 all right and this is uh, the first promise that god ever made concerning um us and he says and i will put enmity he would make them enemies between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel he says unto the woman he said i will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception and sorrow Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Then he says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, uh, Thou shalt not eat of it. He says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it. All the days of thy life. So we must understand that the the prophecy or what God says, because Adam sinned and he fell away from the will of God, that cursed would be the uh, the cattle, which would be the land, that would be their lives, and he says the ground. So that means that everything that came from the ground, because Adam was from the ground, and he was meant to rule here on the earth to glorify God. Because Adam sinned and Adam fell away from the truth, then the funny thing is is that everything in this world was cursed. So you see, there was no death into this point until man disobeyed God. But look at what he says, he says that this sorrow will he eat all the days of his life. So can you imagine a state more hopeless than that that you know you come to serve the God, to, to serve God and you disobey him once? And now the ground is cursed and you will have to reap the sorrow of this all the days of his life. And, you know, Adam did because before Jesus, Adam lived to be nine hundred and thirty years old and he ended up dying. So he never got to see the promise. Okay, but we do because we are the children of Adam. But that's why we must be born again, that we may be of Christ. And when it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. And that is from the very beginning unto the end. So he says in verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So we must understand these thorns and thistles because, you know, Jesus says that trees that bring forth good fruit will not bring forth thorns and thistles. But corrupt trees that bring forth evil fruit, they would bring forth, you know, thorns and thistles. So we must understand this, that you see, Adam would no longer be prosperous in God because of his disobedience and his sin that made God have to get rid of him or take him out of the garden. So that's a real big deal that we understand what this whole thing is about, because, you know, this is what we struggle with today today. This is the the thing that happens to man in life. This is why we must have the fruit of the spirit that we can become righteous trees and not be like the trees of thorns and thistles. Now, you see, a disobedient tree brings forth these things. And if you look at it, those thorns, when I looked up the word in the Hebrew, it talks about that. It's like pain and sorrow. You know, it would be a rough life. It would be a miserable life. And you see, a lot of people can't see past this today. But I'm here to tell you that we've got a Lord and Savior. We've got a real champion. We've got a King of Kings and Lord of Lords that wants to know you and wants you to be a partaker of his nature, that he may fill you with his spirit, that the thorns and thistles will be no more. We will be, as the Bible says, as trees of righteousness. So let's understand that, okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the fruit of joy. Joy is so important today because you can have joy in the midst of sorrow, just like you can have peace in the midst of war, just how you can have love in the midst of hate. The fruit of the Spirit are eternal. They're not something that can just, you know, deal with you in the here and now. So that's why we need these righteous fruit because this was the very part And nature of Jesus first Corinthians 15 says that through one man sin entered into the world but through the second man that came along who was the Lord from heaven that he brought life into the world because we truly were on a sinking ship before we before Jesus Christ found us and died for our sins and that gift is free to anyone that wants him That's what we must have an understanding of. Unless you are a partaker of the nature of Jesus Christ, being born again, baptized, repenting of your sin and being covered in the blood of Jesus and taking that gift of salvation, then we still are dealing with these thorns and thistles. That's the problem with man. That's what money can't get rid of. That's what fame and fortune can't get rid of. That's what worldly success can't get rid of. That's what drugs and alcohol and good exercise can't get rid of. This is all about a nature that we inherited that God put to death 2,000 years ago that you and I can have the chance of being saved and following God and having joy while we do it, for we know that this is not our home. We're just passing through. We're setting our affections on things above, not on things on the earth, that we may have a fruitful and productive and obedient life before our Lord and Savior, that he may tell us one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So from here, I'm going to go into prayer and we're going to get right into this lesson on the fruit of joy and why we need it. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for another day. We thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and the things, Lord, that go against you. I'm grateful for this time, Lord, that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day to partake in your word, to be a part of your nature, to truly be born again, baptized, filled with your spirit, that we may walk in righteousness and do what you say. We pray, Lord, for your special anointing upon this teaching, Lord, that it may open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear, that though some things they hear might be difficult for them to understand. But Lord, we are always speaking to your remnant, We're always speaking to those that want the gospel. We're always speaking to those that understand that we have a true treasure in Jesus. And that is his word and the relationship Lord, that you've opened for us to have. I pray tonight, Lord, that no man's heart be heard, that no flesh be glorified, but by your spirit and your spirit only Lord, that people may seek Jesus Christ, the righteous, that they may be one with him. And I pray Lord in Jesus name that you Bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief. every spirit of suicide, every spirit of, of evil, Lord, and antichrist. I pray, Lord, that you bind them this very moment, that your spirit will be here, that your spirit will teach us something special today, that we may have all edification and understanding to be made whole in Christ. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so without further ado, let's go to Galatians chapter five and let's begin in verse 16. This is part eight of our series of the fruit of the spirit. And you guys know I always like to go here because it's important that we understand what fruit we are speaking of. Okay, that's important. We must go here. and We must understand without it. We can't be trees of righteousness. So we first have to be partakers of the nature of Christ that we may do his righteous works and have these fruit manifest in our lives that we may be fruitful before God. Okay, so this is Galatians 5. Let's look at verse 16. And he says, This I say then, this is Paul walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So a lot of people find it difficult to live a Christian life or to live a life of holiness, which is something that he's all perfecting us and sanctifying us and taking things out of us constantly. But, you know, our war is with the flesh. Yes, the devil is real and he's alive and he can do the things that he does, but he can do nothing to us aside from one, God will let him do and two, how strong or weak we are in the flesh. You notice when the serpent came, he didn't come and bite Eve and bite Adam or squeeze them, you know, in constriction and say, you better give up God right now or I'm going to kill you. He didn't have the power to do these things. You see, he enticed them through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband and he ate. So if they weren't enticed, if they had walked in the spirit, they would have never fulfilled the lust of the flesh. If they would have gone right back to the words of God to just say, well, God told us not to eat of it. I don't care what you say. All right. A matter of fact, God will be here shortly. We'll get this matter straight. But you see, they acted in their own pride. They allowed their flesh to be enticed. And what happened? They bought the lie. And that's what Satan tried to do to Jesus. You know what the devil took from Adam and Eve? Can you imagine being a man and woman having dominion over the whole earth? Adam named the animals. God came to see them every day. They were able to you know, eat fruit. And I mean, the garden pretty much took care of himself. There was no such thing as a farmer at this time until Adam fell. But we must understand that the ground sustained Adam and Eve. The animals were his friends. You could probably go and sit right by a lion, and his nature would be good because God made everything good. So Adam and Eve were pretty much in paradise. That's what Eden means. Eden means pleasure. They were wrapped up in God's creation and God's pleasure. And the devil came along with these three simple lies to do what? To steal their joy. Don't you think for one second he's not doing this to us today? And that's what we must understand concerning Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness, you know, by the devil for 40 days. What did the devil try and do? Get to the flesh of Jesus. Jesus fasted for 40 days and weakened the flesh. The devil had no way in. He offered him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. But because Jesus was dead to the flesh, Jesus forsaked it. Jesus says that, you know, I worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. What was Jesus doing? He was walking in the spirit. Then when you look at, you know, the devil offering him food while he was on the fast. Jesus said, man, don't live by food alone or bread alone or money alone but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So Jesus remembered the commandments and why he came, which is something Adam and Eve forgot, which is something in many cases, if we don't walk in the spirit, we will forget. So that's why it's important that we have the fruit of joy. Jesus had joy to endure the cross, the Bible says. Jesus had joy to do the will of the father because all Jesus could see was a bunch of unsaved men and women scheduled for the lake of fire and and, and their children and children's children and children after that, and counted it all joy that he may suffer once so that we may all live for Christ in eternity. What a God. What a God. Let's look at verse 18. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred and variance, emulations, wrath, strife and seditions and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is like riotous living or wild partying and such like of the witch I tell you before, as I have also told you when time passed. That they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, as I said before in this series, when you don't walk in the spirit, these are the things that will manifest in your life. Why do people commit adultery? Because they need more than they actually were given by God. They may have a wife or a husband, but you see that desire of the flesh? It has to search for more. What is it missing? God's joy. They don't see the joy in obedience. When you look at any of these things, uncleanness, idolatry, why do people become idolaters? Because they forsake the God that they already have. Why? No joy of God. It should please us to please God. It should feel good to us to read God's word, to pray and fast before him, because he is the only God that is. As we preach the gospel and minister to people, we should have joy in that hope that souls may get saved. You know, I can't speak for a lot of people, but the Lord has been working with me over these last few years. And what I'm doing right now is what I want to do the rest of my life. I have great joy in teaching Bible study, going out and ministering, feeding the homeless. And, you know, and this is not trying to pat myself on the back. I truly love what I do because it's what God expects of me. I can't see going and making $100,000 a year at some job doing something else. Man, this is a beautiful gift that God has given us. If only we would tap into him and desire him. Now, yes, we need money to do things, you know, to get donations and stuff like that, that God's will can be done. But God refers to that as unrighteous mammon. Okay, but what we ought to have joy in is the things that God joys in. And God loves nothing more than winning souls. That is the love of God. He wants everybody that is destined for the lake of fire to get off that train so that they may, you know, turn towards heaven and do the will of God. It even says um, in the Bible, in the Gospels, that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that that turns and repents before God. Man, that's what we ought to want, because that's what this is about. All right. So he says, look at verse 22. So those people that do the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is uh, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance against such there is no law. So how much joy can one person absolutely have? How much love can a person have? That is limitless, just like the spirit of God is. And this is what we must tap into to be of God. So he says, you know, um, and look at verse 24, and they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So you see, in order to walk as Jesus did, We have to do what Jesus did. We've got to get rid of this flesh through fasting and prayer and self-denial that we may walk with Jesus. Verse 25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. Why? Because those things don't bring forth joy. They bring forth strife. They bring forth lusting after things that God didn't want us to have. You see, the devil got Adam and Eve to lust when they knew from the beginning that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was forbidden. So that's what we must do. We must stay with God to walk with God, to do the things of God. So let's look up what this word joy means. Okay, this is G5479. And the word is chara and it means joy, gladness the joy received from you, the cause or occasion of joy, of persons who are one's joy. Here's a second word with it. This is G5463. And this is charo or Cairo, And it means uh, to rejoice, be glad, to rejoice exceedingly, to be well, to thrive in salutations and hail. At the beginning of letters to give one greeting, salute. And then it says, this is Strong's definition, to be full of cheer, that is calmly happy or well off, impersonal, especially as a salutation, on meeting or parting, be well, farewell, be glad, Godspeed, greeting, hail, joyfully rejoice. So as you can see, this is all about God's joy. God doesn't want you hearts heavy. He wants us to have joy, whether times are good or bad, whether we're rich or poor. Why do you think, you know, when people uh, get married, it talks about for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, for sickness and in health? Because we know, or whoever came up with that understands that thorns and thistles are in our lives. And the only way to combat these things, to get rid of these curses, is one, through the blood of Jesus, but to connect to Jesus and have the joy of the Lord reign in our lives. That's why, you know, we cannot even be rich, but we're rich towards Christ because, you know, what God wants is most important to me. All right. So let's go on. Let's talk about the joy of the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 21 and let's begin at verse one. Psalm 21 and 1. All right, this is Psalm 21. And we're going to begin at verse 1. And it says, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice! So we must understand when they're talking about the king, they're speaking of David, but we've got to look at this too. One of the reasons why we don't have joy in our lives is because we don't even understand what God saved us from. Somehow the devil has convinced many of us as he has convinced Adam and Eve that what you do in this life and whatever excitement you can find from it is joy. But you see, we don't understand that Unless we tap into what God wants, we're scheduled for hell. Look at verse two. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and has not withholded the request of his lips. Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. So we must understand David is talking about the goodness of God and all that God has given him. And then he talks about the blessings and the goodness and the crown of pure gold that he's given. Now, some people will say, well, why should I rejoice? I don't have this. You do if you be of Christ. The Bible talks about how we're going to be dressed on the last day, how he's going to put the best garment on you. That we're going to have crowns of joy, crowns of righteousness, crowns of life that no man can take from us. That we will truly, we might have been poor here, but we'll be rich there for eternity because we are God's people. Look at verse four. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days forever and ever. His glory is great, and thy salvation, honor, and majesty hast thou laid upon him. You see, we got the same thing David has, but we just gotta realize this and understand it. You don't understand what it was when you were walking in the mud, when you were walking in sin, When you were walking in absolute filth, how God found us, loved us, dusted us off, and continuing to work with us, that we may be like him. We've got to understand the treasure here, how he gave us the glory and majesty and the salvation. Look at verse 6. For thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. I know that I'm glad because if you guys would have seen me a few years ago, you know, I was crazy. I mean, I thought fornication, I thought uncleanness, I thought doing all sorts of filth was the way that you should live. If it feels good, then do it. I was raised in a Christian home, but what did I do very early in life and I allowed the devil to do in my ignorance? I let him steal my joy. And for you you backsliding Christians, that know this story all too well too, when you gave your life to Jesus and you followed him and you backslid and you did something that was not of God, you see the guilt that you felt? You you see the sense of unworthiness and uncleanness you felt? That was the devil stealing your joy. So it's important that we understand that if we stay with Jesus, the enemy can't get to us. Look at verse seven. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Thine hand shall find out all thine enemies, thy right hand shall find out those that hate thee. Thou shalt make them as a fiery oven in the time of thine anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Now let's look at this. He's speaking of the unrighteous. Yes, he's speaking about his enemies, but you can point this onto the future about those who wouldn't be of Christ will will have God's wrath to deal with. And what will that bring a lot of people to? That'll bring them into a lake of fire. So you see, we should ever be grateful and ever be glad that the road that we were on, we were heading too fast, but God in all his love and mercy wanted us to experience the joy of salvation and being set free. Look at verse 10 and he says, their fruit shall thou destroy from the earth and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended evil against thee. They imagine a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Therefore, shalt thou make them turn their back when thou shalt make ready thine arrows upon thy strings against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength, so will we sing the praise, I mean, sing and praise thy power. You know, again, we've we've talked about many times in this series how we've been delivered from a lot of things that the enemy has done to us. But do we even recognize that God is the one that's fighting every single battle, even in our sleep, even when we wake up, even when we're in the workplace, even when we go home? The Bible says that the devil comes for three reasons, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So God is forever trying to get us to be partakers in his joy, that everything that we do, if it be of Christ, we will prosper. And I'm not talking about just material gain. I'm speaking of a very nature that we may have, that we may be truly set free. All right, so let's go to um, let's go to Psalm ninety six and let's look at verse one. Psalm ninety six. But man, joy is a beautiful thing. Joy is an amazing thing that God can give us. That no matter what everything looks like, even when we lose saved family members that are loved ones, we have great joy in knowing that that person is going to be heading towards eternity that you will see them again and that they won't be headed towards hell. There's joy in serving the Lord because you know that he is right. God is right and cannot be wrong. So this is Psalm 96. Let's look at verse one. He says, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Shew forth his salvation from day to day. So when it talks about showing forth your salvation or God's salvation from day to day, this means to preach the gospel. This means to live a life in the spirit. This means not to return to the things that had you bound, but to live a life in victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. So it says from day to day, not sometimes, not just on Sunday, the joy of the Lord should be in us every day. Look at verse three. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. So you see how this is even speaking of preaching the gospel, declaring the glory of God to who the heathen, who are the unsaved. We should have great joy in this for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That's a lowercase g. There's only one God, but there are many people who that make other religions their God, but our God is to be feared above all because he's the only true God that exists. Look at verse five. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. So you wonder why when you get to Revelation, it talks about these 24 elders are constantly throwing their crowns down and throwing themselves before God. Those people have joy in heaven. They're going to have great joy in heaven that God saved them. And that's why it's important that we become partakers of salvation, because there is no greater joy than to be someone who's out to sea, miles away from land drowning, with no lifeboat, no anything, and you can't swim, only to have the Lord extend his hand forth and pull you out, and to dress you and keep you and and make you one of his there's no greater joy than that is he not worthy of our praise look at verse 10 say among the heathen that the lord reigneth the lord also shall be established that it shall not be moved he shall judge the people righteously let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh, for he cometh, uh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. And that's why we've got to rejoice in the things that God wants when he tells us to sing before him and make a melody in our hearts of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, because you truly recognize that God is good. I think what keeps a lot of people from having joy is not realizing who God is. That's one. Knowing God and seeing what he can do. That's two and reverencing God and doing what God says. You see, you've got to taste God to see his good. You've got to be partaker of what God wants to see that God is good. I don't think that, you know, it's it's no way for someone to see it from an unsaved standpoint. All you've got to know is what's going on in your life is not working. If you could just be honest with yourself, you know that money may have some fulfillment But it does not make you whole. It does not make you happy. You realize that world success may have its limitations in dealing with your pride, but it can't lead you to wholeness. But you see, when you follow God and you give it to Christ, you have a true understanding of what holiness is. And that makes you want to rejoice for the goodness of God and all that he wants for us, because you know that God is good. God is is good all right so let's move on i just want to i just wanted to make that point real quick now let's go to nehemiah chapter 8 and let's look at verse 1 nehemiah 8 and let's look at verse 1 but you know i'm ever grateful i can't speak for anybody else but you know what the lord brought into my life You know, he saved me from all the things that I could have had happen to me. And for that, you know, I'll forever be grateful for the Lord because that's where I can have joy. That's why I love to teach the gospel. I love to tell people about this Jesus because my relationship with him is real. I love him, you know, and I love what he did for me. I was not known as someone That was very smart. I wasn't known as someone that would be overall successful or most likely to succeed. But, you know, none of those things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto me. What I want to do is please God because God is good, man. So let's look at Nehemiah 8. Let's look at verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street Before the men and the women, and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now, you know, the reason why Ezra did this is because a lot of people really, you know, this was a corrupt time for Israel. You can't turn one or two chapters before you see that there's corruption somewhere and that people have forsaken and forgotten the ways of God. You know, this is Israel. So let's look at verse 4, and it says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside them stood, uh, let's see, Mattathiah, I guess Mattathiah and Shema and Ananiah, and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah on his right hand and on his left hand, uh, Pediah and Mishael and Malchiah. And Hashem and Hajbadana and Zechariah and Meshelah. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all uh, the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worship the lord with their faces to the ground so you see with god's law ezra made these people aware of their sin that's what reading the bible does to us at first it might seem grievous because these people are holding their heads down and they're worshiping but they're also seeing the goodness or being exposed to the righteousness of god and how unrighteous they are so they could say so be it they could say amen and agree to it but this is bringing fear upon the people to hear the word of God to receive correction. So look at verse 7 and it says, And Joshua and Bani and Sarabiah and Jamin and Ahab and Shabbatai, I think that Shabbatai and Hajiah and Messiah and Kalida Azariah, Jozebed, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So one, you have uh, Ezra bringing out the word of God, the people are hearing the word, and then you've got the priest now making people be to understand the scriptures and be made aware of them. And then, you know, everybody's standing in their place. You see, this is what's kind of lacking too, what's keeping us from giving people God's joy or people understanding or having joy in the word of God is for one, not having the word of God presented. And you false pastors and preachers know exactly who I'm talking about, how you can sit there, preach whatever you wanna preach, you know it's not the gospel, you know it's not what Jesus Christ stands for, but you want to please the people and make them all happy and, and full of false joy. But then there comes, you know, these Levite priests that are making people understand the scriptures, What we're also missing concerning the word of God, which is keeping people from having joy in God's word, is that they're not being fully made aware of salvation, the gospel, you know, heaven and hell, where we will be, you know, if we don't hearken unto the voice of God. This is also where you get that lying once saved, always saved doctrine, because you see, that makes the people feel good once I've got it. I can't lose it. But you know that Jesus says, He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Okay? So let's understand that. And then it says in verse uh, 8 So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. You see that? And gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So these men were really teachers, they were breaking down the word of God to give people understanding. Look at verse uh, nine and Nehemiah, which is the Tarshish, uh, the is actually uh, um, a governor in um, Persia. OK, so this is around the time that they were ruled by the Persians. And this is uh, Nehemiah at this time. He's a governor. Isn't it funny how a lot of these men were never anything in the world? And God promotes them to higher levels and positions like Daniel, like Joseph. You'd have to ask yourself, what education did they have? All they had was grace and favor with the Lord and God's favor promoted them above men that they may teach men what are the righteous ways of God. That's not for tonight's teaching, but I just wanted to make that point. And Nehemiah, which is the Tersheth, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, uh, and the Levites that taught the people said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So you see, these people were made well aware of their sins. And what did that make them want to do? Repent. That's all God's word is meant to do. It's to find out the dark places in your life, that they may be plucked up by the roots, that light may shine on them, and we may choose life with Christ and not death with the world that we may do what? Rejoice. Okay, so he's telling the people, don't mourn, don't, you know, do all these things, because God is with you. Okay, so they heard the words of the Lord, they were weeping, but, you know, Nehemiah or Ezra is telling the people, don't weep, this day is unto the Lord. So look at verse 10, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So this is real interesting. He told them to be married. He told them to break bread. He told them to drink and eat the portions and send portions unto those who don't have. So what is Nehemiah telling the people here or Ezra? He's letting them know to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's not enough love for the neighbor. And there's definitely not enough love for God in this walk with a lot of people, okay, with most people. And this is why in order to love God with your heart, mind, soul and strength, it takes the joy of the Lord, you've got to have your mind transformed and God making your heart his throne, that you truly have an understanding that God's ways are good and all God wants to do and all God likes to do will be transformed unto you. I can't speak for anyone else, but I love preaching the gospel. I love my alone time with Jesus and I love to look after those who don't have, okay? Because I want that joy to be in me. I recognize that, you know, because Sarah and I weren't going out there for a while, you know, there came a point where we were not really um, going out as often to preach the gospel, and I think this went on for about six weeks. But I remember feeling so miserable inside, and so defeated by the world, and so stressed, and fighting with this, and trying to make sure things at work go well, and my priorities were off. And uh, you know, as much sleep as I and exercise as I got, it still didn't help me really. You know, so i realized that when we started going out and the lord was you know directing us and instructing us and just seeing people without that become glad because they eventually you know have something to eat man it's a marvelous thing it brings forth such joy that if i was tired before getting out there i no longer feel tired i don't even feel tired the next day because you tap into the things that god wants when you obey god's commands The joy of the Lord is your strength. God gives us joy in him that we might do his will. You see, but when we give that joy that God gives us to the world, then what ends up happening is you drain it with someone that doesn't even care nor understand it. You know, your boss will see you come in Monday happy and feeling full of God's joy. He says, oh, man, you're pretty vibrant and doing well. Yeah, by the way, I got a bunch of, uh, bunch of boxes over there in the corner I need you to pick up. So it's good that you feel like working. And you see, as we go around on Satan's hamster wheel, not doing the things that God wants us to do, what ends up happening is that joy that God gives becomes wasted. If you want to keep God's joy in your life, you better get about the things that God wants. And you'll see that he rejuvenates you and gives you great strength. No matter what bad news the devil tries to bring and steal your joy, you can have ex-boyfriends or girlfriends calling you. You can have your boss threatening you about your job performance and all these things. And none of these things will move you. Why? Because God's joy can't be bought. It can't be sold. It can't be brought forth from any other source. This comes from God. And when God gives you his joy, he gets you full of his spirit and rejuvenated to do what he wants. Man, you don't understand what we're missing out. All we've got to do is love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give all things unto him and worship him and reverence him and spend time with him. And he is going to rejuvenate you to do his will. He is our source of life. And we must understand where the source of life is. We can forget it. Adam and Eve forgot it. And you see, we're still living with that to this day. But Jesus Christ wants you to remember it by walking in the spirit that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not will be damned. You want to know why our joy doesn't stay. How many of us are preaching the gospel? How many of us really want to serve the Lord? How many of us spend time with Jesus? Because we give our jobs about eight to 10 hours a day. And then we come home and give Jesus a little, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. He's more worthy than that. And and I'm not saying quit your job or your life, but God has got to be the central focus behind all that you do. Because after all, the joy of the Lord is our strength. All right, so let's move on. I just wanted to bring that point forward. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter six, and let's look at joy. 2 Samuel chapter six. We're gonna hear a story. All right, 2 Samuel chapter six. And we are going to begin at verse one. I know some people, when they tap into this, they're going to say, I thought he was just going to be happy. I am happy. I enjoy doing what I'm doing, winning souls and going after people. But I'm not going to put a clown hat on and OT and. You know, have your best life now. Every day is Friday. I'm not going to lie to you guys and tell you that because you know that that would be false. But you see, a lot of people today want to believe lies because they look for false senses of joy. We got to understand joy is whether times are good or bad. All right. So this is Second Samuel 6. and Let's look at verse one. He says, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bailey of Judah or Baal of Judah. And um, uh, to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Now, you know that the ark of the covenant was supposed to be like symbolic for God's throne. That's why you had four Levite priests that were carrying the throne. You know, just like our heart today is also symbolic for God's throne. Okay, we have what? We have 24 ribs that would represent the 24 elders and our heart has four chambers and valves. Okay, so you see, we are totally fashioned after God. So if we gave our hearts to God and he sat in that throne, you would have God's joy. That's what this is about. Verse three, and they set the ark of God upon the new cart, and brought it out of the house, and Benat and Abinadab uh, that was in uh, Gibeah, and Uzziah, and Ahio, and uh, um, the sons of Abinadab, uh, drave the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark, And David and all the house of Israel played uh, before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, uh, even on harps and on psalteries and on temporals and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to uh, Nacon's threshing floor, Uzziah or Yuza, it says, put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the lord was kindled against user and uh, god smote him there for his error and there he died by the ark of god so no one was supposed to touch this ark and god were praising them only the levite priests were allowed to you know carry the ark of god they were pushing the cart on a, um, the ark on a cart okay because only priests could do this sort of thing But what you saw here was, you know, I think the uh, what did it make clear that the oxen shook it, you know, so it looked like the ark, I guess, was going to fall. And one of the priests put his hands on it or one of the guys put his hands on it to stop it. And he was struck dead right on the spot. So you see, you got to understand when God's instruction is not to touch it, you don't touch it. You can't come into the presence of God and not be right. Look at verse 8, and David was displeased because the Lord hath made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah uh, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him this uh, into the city, of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-edom, Obed-edom uh, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-edom uh, the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord have blessed the house of Obededom. That's what I'm just going to say, Obededom. And um, and and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obeden, <laughs> into the city of David with gladness. So David had fear of the Lord one and he obeyed God to find out that this man was blessed for keeping the ark in his house. And now David is glad as he's bringing the ark back. And it says in verse 13, and it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with linen, with a linen ephod. So as you can see, they went six paces and made a sacrifice. You see, that's the way in many ways as believers we are to be before God. A lot of us have joy in the flesh. You know, God created everything in this world for six days, and he rested on the seventh, which was symbolic in the spirit. In old Levitical law, they had six days of work. They had one 24-hour period with God for worship, that seventh day representing the spirit, okay? So this is what we got to understand for us. We might have lived our lives worldly, carnal, and fleshly, And we might have had youthful lust and things that brought us joy in this life. But you see, eventually God wants us to make it to six, which is the end of man and beast. Okay, the end of self that we may get in part with God and be in the spirit where we can rejoice in the things that God wants. So you see six days or six, you know, um, being in the number six. But God eventually wants us to flee youthful lust. Flee the cares and the things of this life that we may commune with God in the spirit, which is our number seven. This is what's keeping us from having continued joy is that we're wandering in six instead of being a partaker of seven, which is God's number. Okay, which is the spirit. So it says, so David and all the house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. But you see, David was so excited what the Lord had done. And it says he danced before the Lord with all his might. Can we even imagine what it is to dance before the Lord in all his might? You might see that in a lot of hip hop, but they weren't dancing before the Lord. But why can't we be this joyous and this excited about our God? Why can't we shout and make joyful noises unto the Lord? Why can't we be as loud as we are at football games to reverence the name of Jesus Christ if the joy of the Lord is really in us. So you see, this thing becomes questionable because David is a king here, and you know, he's, he's enjoying himself and dancing before God with all his might because of the presence of God. That's how we've got to be, not just in church. We should do this whenever we reverence God, whenever we are moved by the Spirit, We are to make joyful noises unto the Lord because that joy of God is really in us. So let's look at, I believe in verse uh, 17. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings, and peace offerings he blessed the people in the name of the lord of hosts and he dealt among all the people even among the whole multitude of israel as well as to the women as men to everyone a cake of bread and to i mean and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine so all the people departed everyone to his house So what is David doing? The joy of the Lord sprang up in David for having the presence of God. And now David first showed his love towards God. And you see how it goes from there unto loving his neighbor, making sure everyone had bread. He spoke to the men and women, giving them love, giving them cakes, you know, a piece of good flesh and some wine that they may celebrate. The name of Jesus Christ, the name of God, because you know that's who the captain of the Lord of Hosts is. Let's look at verse uh, 20. Then David returned to bless his household and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself uh, today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself." So this woman is upset with David because David is probably jumping up in the air and his robe is probably flying everywhere. And he's just dancing and he's singing and he's loving and he's praising God. And as you can see, the daughter of Saul, okay, who was the previous king, is now trying to take the joy away from David. Why are you so happy? This is how people treat you in church. It don't take all of that. Why you got to say and do all of that jumping around and flailing? Listen, if you've got the joy of the Lord inside of you, then you know it takes even more than that to give it to God. Okay? That is limitless. That is joy, God's joy. That is unspeakable joy. And that's what David is feeling right here. Okay? So this woman is trying to shame him. Why are you going and doing all of that and acting like that? Who are you supposed to be? Got your robe everywhere, just like a vain fellow uncovering himself. This is what she said. You see, this is a type of harlot. This woman right here is a type of harlot. You know how in the Bible, the Lord tells us in Revelation that this woman, the people were drunk with the wine of the fornication of the harlot. This woman herself is trying to take the peace away from God, just like this world tries to take the joy away from you. That is the main purpose behind the devil offering Jesus what he offered, and he offered Adam and Eve what he offered them. She's trying right now to steal David's joy. Look at verse 21. And David said unto Michal, uh, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, will I play before the Lord? Amen. David, David's making the point here. The Lord chose me over your, over your father. Okay. And because the Lord has given me all of this because the, excuse me, the Lord has blessed me with all of this then we must have an understanding that I'm going to give it back to God. I'm going to give him my best like Abel did and not Cain. The Lord is going to get the first of my fruits. He's going to get my best praise because he is worthy. This is what David recognizes. So then it says in verse 22, look at what David says next. And I will yet be more vile than thus and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. Amen, David. David is like, you know what? Since you've already made clear what side of things you're on, as you have already made clear that joying in the Lord is not something that you're a partaker of, I'm not giving you any children. I don't want to join myself to you. That steals my joy. So you understand if you're a partaker of God, the Bible makes clear that that which you join yourself to, you become one with. Now, you know that the workplace that we work, the education system we're a part of, maybe some of our family members or people of the world that we spend time with, you know that they don't have the joy of the Lord inside of them. But in many cases, we try and link to them and keep God's joy. We have to come with the joy of God after spending time with God that they may hear the gospel, that they may rejoice and get saved. That's what this is about. But whatever you link yourself to, if it is not compatible with God, then it is going to take away that very joy that God wants us to have. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Luke 6. And let's look at verse 19, Luke chapter 6 and verse 19. This is why we feel so defeated in the world and dealing with things, because we haven't waited for the Lord to give us the things that we need. And anything that God gives you will maintain his joy. But anything that the world gives you will take it away from you. Why? Because if God is life, that which is opposite of God is death. All right, this is um, Luke uh, 6, and let's look at verse 19, and he says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, uh, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. So this is what Jesus was doing. That virtue means power. You know, that was the joy that was in Christ, that he would pray before the Father every day, get full of the Spirit, and what was he able to do with that? Heal the sick. So it says in verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be you poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Did he mean poor in finances? Not really. He's talking about poor in spirit, for those who have forsaken the world and all the desires that are here. Okay? He says those people are blessed because they've sold out to God, they've sold out to Jesus, and theirs will be the kingdom of God. Look at verse 21 Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. So you see, this is what God means for us to do. When he says we weep now, that means to be to deal with the thorns and thistles. Preaching the gospel is not gonna always be easy. In many days, you are gonna have to go to war to set souls free. But you know what? Even with all that weeping and anguish of spirit, one day we will laugh With great joy because we gave it all to God and he says those that hunger now they will be filled what makes you want to be full of God the joy that you have in God okay look at verse 22 blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake so he says that we're blessed If the world wants to separate from us and not have anything to do with us for the name of Jesus, how many of us believe this? How many believe that we're blessed for following Christ? And and if the world forsakes us, that we just continue to be blessed and enjoy what God gives us. He doesn't tell you run after them. He doesn't tell you to, you know, mourn and weep over that because you don't have friends. You've got to rejoice because these people that are not going your way, that are not leading you in the ways of righteousness, will lead you into the ways of unrighteousness. Look at verse 23, look at what the Lord says, what we do when people separate us from their company and cast our names out as evil for Jesus Christ's sake. He says, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So Jesus didn't say feel down. Jesus says rejoice and leap for joy. Now you see to the carnal world, that would make you seem crazy that people are separating themselves from you and not wanting to be with you. Hey, I got brothers that I talk to regularly that are now going through divorce for this very same reason. I have friends of mine that whose kids are turning against them, whose parents are turning against them. But you see, Jesus tells you here to rejoice in that day when these happen and leap for joy. For great is your reward in heaven, for they treated the prophets of God in this very manner. They had no respect for the prophets of God. You see that? The good men are always forsaken in this corrupt world. Look at verse 24. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Does it mean rich in money? Somewhat, but it's more of rich in this world. Those who don't find themselves lacking and humble before God, as we talked about yesterday. You see, these people, he says, woe unto them because you've received your reward. You lived a life, life, you're successful in this life. You haven't forsaken anything. You haven't shared any of the unrighteous mammon with those who are in need. He says, woe unto you. Look at verse 25. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So when you got that liar, Joel Osteen, telling you to have your best life now from this false love, okay, then we better understand, or this false joy, we better understand that you might laugh now, but you will weep in the end because that's not the instructions of God. Look at verse 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So as you can see, you're either going to have God's favor in this world or you're going to have man's favor in this world. But there's no in between. If the world forsakes you, Jesus tells you to rejoice. But you know why we take it to heart? Because we still love this world and we've got our flesh that's too weak to walk in the spirit or too strong, I should say, to walk in the Spirit. But you see, joy is whether or not times are good or bad, because joy is a fruit of of the Spirit and a commandment of God that we walk in these things. Thank you, Jesus. Look at Matthew 13, and let's look at verse 44. Matthew 13 and 44. See, joy is not what people think it is. People think I'm happy, so that should I should have joy in that. Hey, whether times are good or bad, we are to rejoice and be a partaker of the things that Jesus wants. All right. So this is Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 44. Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, and um, of the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and by that field. Now, you see, I've gotten into many arguments with people over even people with their ministry that, you know, they thought I was kind of hard because I spoke against the world. And, you know, I mentioned that it's funny how God pulled all his disciples off the job and even told the rich man to forsake all he has and follow him. Now, you see, a lot of people had trouble with that. But you see, I think that people had a misunderstanding of what joy is and what God wants us to joy. Look at verse 44 again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure. So what's the first problem with that? You don't see the kingdom of heaven as a treasure because you see the world as a treasure. So then it says hid in a field and which when a man hath found, when a man has found salvation, he hideth. um, Oh, when he... um, Yet when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. So you see, we're getting a big misunderstanding of what joy is and what the kingdom of God is and how we should rejoice over it, because that problem is, is that we think that world joy and world success is equivalent to the kingdom of heaven. You see what the devil can make you believe? That's what he tried to make Jesus believe. This is what he tries. He made Adam and Eve believe that, you know, being your own God was as good as having God. You see, so they went after a false joy. And, you know, because of that, they fell. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. So you see, when you're a merchant man, you're buying the pearls and you're seeking it. The kingdom of heaven are goodly pearls. Jesus says, what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What can we give in exchange for our souls? And that needs to ring loud with us so that our joy can be in the right place. He says, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So you see, this is talking about forsaking the world for God. I know that we've got to be called to this. I know that there are stages we've got to get to. But is the joy of the Lord in your life? Are you rejoicing in eternal life? Are you laying up treasures in heaven and setting your affections above where the true joy can be or on things on the earth that would only tire you out where you are and take away your true purpose and why you got saved? Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. So it's an abundant thing, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven should bring out the fullness of God in us, not to deter us from it, because we want things here. Look at verse 48, which when it is full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels but cast the bad away. So you see what God comes to do? There should be great joy in this. He said it's like a net when you come and, and, you know, it just goes out, cast out, and takes everything out of the sea. But what will it eventually do? Keep the good and cast out the bad. That's what the kingdom of heaven is for. It's to filter us through this world that whatever things that we have that is killing the joy from coming to us, that God may give us by removing the barricades in our lives. Look at verse 45, I mean, 49, sorry. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So you see, we don't understand. And that's why I love pastors that preach on hell. I don't like pastors that don't talk about it because this is a constant reminder of where we were and what we were scheduled towards and what we have you know, received of God that this won't be our destination. So you see, preaching of hell is good. It keeps you sober. It keeps you in that right frame of mind. It keeps the joy of the Lord in your heart that you no longer have to go through the lake of fire. You can now rest in Christ in eternal life. So you see, all of the gospel is complete and it's the full gospel that brings you joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you took me away from a world of condemnation and an eventual you know, um, uh, judgment of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Man, no thank you, thank you, Jesus, for freeing me from this. So let's move on. Let's go to um, Colossians one and let's look at verse one. See, so you need all the gospel. You can't tell righteousness unless you're around unrighteousness. That's why God filtered us through evil and allowed us to be sinners at the time we were that we might repent, get sick of that life and begin to pursue him. God is a genius. You see, Adam and Eve never suffered anything, but I bet you what, once they got kicked out of the garden and had to fend for self, then they realized what they had. Why was the Lord given to us in the Bible? It was a schoolmaster to bring us into the place of recognizing Christ. It was considered the yoke of bondage, only that we may find Christ be ever grateful to have grace to move in the spirit that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, not being whipped and condemned and commanded to do it, that we will serve God by nature, because the joy of the fruit, the fruit of joy is in us, of God. All right, so this is Colossians 1, and let's look at verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. So you see how Paul immediately directs them to the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Why do we do what we do? For one, we're being organically grown to walk as Jesus walks, being led of the Spirit. But we also have that blessed hope, that rejoicing in that hope that we may make it unto eternal life. So it says in verse six, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. And bringeth forth fruit as it doth always, also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. So Paul's making clear to them that this is what they were exposed to, the gospel. Why? So that it would bring forth more fruit, and it would, um, they would understand or appreciate the grace of God in its entirety, in its truth. Look at verse 7. As ye also learned at, at Epiphras, our dear fellow servant, who is in you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Look at verse nine again. For this cause we also, okay, since the day we heard it, we first heard the gospel, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So what are we trying to do tonight? What was the purpose of preaching the gospel or saying what we're saying tonight? that we may understand what God's will is and take pleasure in that, to be filled with God's knowledge and his will of wisdom and to have spiritual understanding. Look at verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you see, the more we know, the more we shouldn't feel more defeated. We should feel more joy because to know God is to love him. To understand God is to rejoice in him. You see, to know of his goodness is to praise him. So that's important that we get an understanding of where our joy comes from. It comes in the knowledge of God. Look at verse 11, strengthen with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience, that's a fruit of the Spirit, and long-suffering with joyfulness. So God wants us to be able to experience pain and long-suffering and patience with long-suffering, I mean, with joy. He wants us to have joy in this. You see, these disciples didn't put themselves what they put themselves through if they thought that this was a work that didn't make any sense. The devil somehow has convinced christians today that you know it doesn't make sense to work that hard for christ it doesn't make sense to give jesus all because after all you've got to live too but this is talking about patience and long suffering and joyfulness you see we've got to joyfully do what god wants because it's a part of our nature whenever we feel grief in the spirit it's because we're not compatible to god with what god calls us to That's why he says for us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that we may know the things that God wants, that we may be joyful in what he wants and be a partaker of his nature, that we may do the things of God with joy. That includes long suffering. You go to Acts 16. Remember, Paul and Silas were beaten because they cast out a devil from a woman that had a spirit of divination And, you know, the Romans grabbed them, threw them in the prison, whipped them, laid many stripes upon them. But at midnight, they were singing praise unto the Lord, thanking God that they were worthy enough to endure the infirmities of God. And what happened? An earthquake came and broke them loose from the prison. Read Acts 16 and 16 or the whole uh, chapter. But they were all broken through and freed. Why? Because the joy of the Lord was their strength, and that's what we must understand, all right, I want to go to Matthew 15, let's look at verse 1, we're not going to stay on this too long, of course, you know, there's always times when we go to present things, and you know, we just don't have enough time sometimes, but we're going to get as much in as we can tonight, because I want people to understand the depths of joy, not just feeling joy, but where joy comes from, how it endures no matter what we do, No matter what we've got to go through, because that is the goodness of God. Okay, so let's go through, uh, I'm going to John 15, and let's look at verse 1. The Lord says something very interesting here. John 15, and let's look at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, he's the gardener. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So you see, every branch that comes forward that is not productive for Jesus Christ, he says that the Father taketh it away. Why? So that it won't corrupt the vine or attempt to. But then he says that every branch that beareth fruit, that God will purge. Why? so that you bring forth more fruit. So see, when we allow God to grow fruit in us, we might get to places where things may get difficult and hard to hear. There may be some things in the world and that we're not ready to part with yet. But you see, that's what sanctification for is for and spending time with God, why? So that he can purge us from those things that more fruit can be produced. But he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, why do we preach the gospel? That people may be clean through the word because they may see the error in their ways. Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So you see, you can't bear fruit in separation from Christ. So that would see, that would, that only makes sense why we don't have enough love to love the Lord and love our neighbor. Why it's okay for us to not have peace in this world because we allow the world to dictate to us. Where's our joy going? It's going right into whatever it is we give it to because we're not connected with God. Where's the love? We don't have it because the world doesn't have love. So you see, in order to have the fruit, we've got to stay connected to Christ. Why are we as a church today lacking in faith? Because we're not connected to the vine which is the fruit of faith that God gives us. You see, it only makes perfect sense why we can't serve the Lord. We don't spend time with him. And you see, when you don't have that, you can't have God's joy. So look at verse five. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Um, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I told you. Look at verse six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So you see how if a man doesn't stay connected to God, you bring forth thorns and thistles. And what is God going to do? He's going to burn them because they're going to wither away no life. They will not have any bit of the nature of the life of the true vine. So there's nothing left to do with them is to gather them up and burn them. You're not gonna eat them, you know, and they're not gonna bring forth any fruit, because they have corrupted, disconnecting from the vine. So let's look at verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you continue in my love. Now we've talked about this in love before. If God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son in Jesus Christ, and Jesus went to the cross out of love for the Father and you and I, then we should live a selfless life too to continue in this love, this selfless love, because this is the joy and the mind of Christ. These are the things that God rejoiced in. So verse 10 says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you. Okay, so he's telling us how to love the brethren, how to stay connected to Christ, how to glorify the Father by being in Christ, and he tells us this that his joy might remain in us and that your joy might be full. So God wants you to be full, but God is not going to purge, you know, those who want to disconnect from him. God is only going to purge and make more fruitful those that are connected to the vine. So now you wanna know where your joy is, where you get headaches from work and you're tired and you're stressed. And you know, some of you are contemplating suicide because you let depression and despair come into your life. It's because you're disconnected from the true vine, which is Jesus Christ, that brings forth that joy for you and I. Verse 12 says, This is my commandment that ye love one another, so I have loved, I mean, as I have loved you. Greater love have no man than this, than he that lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. So what are we even missing? That friendship of God, not because it's God that doesn't want it. It's because we refuse to come into him and to trust him and to abide in him. And when you've got that, your fruit will be taken from you. So you see, it's important in order to stay with Christ. We've got to keep that joy in doing what God wants to do. All right. In your spare time, read John 17. Okay. And in and, and, um, 16 and 17, remember Jesus told his disciples that in the world, he would tell, these, tell them these things that they would have peace, okay? He told them everything that the Holy Ghost was gonna do, that they wouldn't be offended, that the Holy Ghost was going to reprove the world of sin. Well, this is what God wants to do. You know, God wants us to, you know, be in Christ. And Jesus says that in the world, Ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Our cheerfulness should be in Christ and how he overcame, giving us the spirit that we may overcome. But you see, we've been lied to that we don't need to overcome this world. We are finding our joy here. The joy of the Lord has been replaced by the cares of this life. And when you've got that, you will not be happy at the coming of Jesus Christ. You won't be happy that he's laid up a place for you. You won't be happy that he means to make you an overcomer. Overcomer, sorry. But you want to be an Egyptian slave. You want to be a Hebrew slave than to be an overcomer. And why is that? Because the joy of the Lord is absent from our lives. All right, let's go to Acts 20, and let's look at verse 15. Acts 20 and 15. We're almost done, guys. Acts 20, this is about Paul. Okay, Acts 20 and 15, and it says, And we sailed thence and came the next day. Uh, over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos and uh, tarried at Trigilium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem of the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent the, um, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility, there is a fruit of the spirit of mine, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And now I kept back nothing from, I mean, nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. So you see the joy of the Lord is in Paul here. He stayed in Ephesus all this long that he may teach the people the ways of the Lord and he didn't hold anything back from them. And you see, when you understand the devil's nature and you understand his tricks, you understand when you come home and the kids are acting crazy, the husband has lost his mind acting up, the wife is shouting and screaming and trying to make trouble, and you've been spending time with God all day, this is the devil attempting to steal your joy. Okay, once you become familiar with the tricks of the devil, how he means to take these things from you, the joy of the Lord can remain on you because you began to joy in the things that God wants. You begin to joy in the temptations of the devil because you know they're only meant to bring forth more fruit if we overcome. So look at verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So you see, Paul even had a prophet that told him what he would suffer if he went to Jerusalem. But Paul is going because the joy of the Lord is in Paul. Paul wants to please God. Paul loves the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul and strength and loves his neighbor as himself. So look at what he says in verse 24, knowing that affliction and knowing that uh, what's the other thing? Afflictions and bonds await him. He says in verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry uh, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So this is kind of why in some ways, you know, we continue to be moved is because we're strong in the flesh and not strong in the spirit towards Christ. I'm going to tell you something else. I think in many cases, we're not far enough in this thing with the Lord. You see, once you sell out to one side or the other, you know that you can't go back to where you were. Some of us have, might have found Jesus, but the devil is keeping us from becoming effective Christians because the devil steals your joy and then gives you a false joy, which is the world. And we really think that We're doing something. But Paul says, even though he's going through all this, he says, none of these things move him. Neither does he count his life dear unto himself, that he may finish his course with joy. So you think that Paul has the right perspective here? Absolutely, because Paul is sold out for Christ. Paul has no desire to go back and serve the world. Paul only cares about the things that God wants him to have finish the rest of this in your spare time is this I just wanted to bring this point that Paul even had to suffer afflictions with the joy of the Lord that's what this whole thing is about that God gets pleased but we want to be somebody at the expense of God when the Bible tells us in Romans 12:1, now we beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service and not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're talking about joy, guys, real joy. Okay. I'm not here to paint, you know, pictures of carnal happiness. I'm here to tell you that when you got God's joy, even persecution is not going to deter you from doing God's will because you want to please God, because the very fruit of joy that walked in Jesus is walking in you. And this is what he wants us to be able to have so that our faith won't fail. You see, because the children of Israel only had joy in the Lord when when the Lord was freeing them from Egypt. But then when they got down by the brook and Pharaoh came with his men, you saw how much joy they really had they began to blame Moses, the very liberator, for setting them free. And if we're not dead to this flesh and alive to the spiritual fruit of Christ, then what we're going to do is blame God for us going to jail for preaching the gospel. We're gonna blame God for losing our jobs for preaching the gospel sake because the joy that is in us won't be authentic. We've got to be grown from the inside out to have these fruit in Christ that no matter whether times are good or bad, it doesn't matter. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's what I really wanna to explain to people. So, you know, 1 Thessalonians 1 talks about joy and afflictions. Let's go to Acts chapter two, since we're already here. And I wanna make a quick point in verse 37. Acts two, and let's look at verse 37. All right, now it says, remember when Peter gave his first sermon here? He let them know that these people killed the king of glory. They didn't know who Jesus Christ was. They killed him. And now they're asking in verse 37, look at look at what it says. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you see, it's important that we become partaker of the gift of God and have the Holy Ghost, because if you don't have God's joy growing in you, you're going to seek a false joy. In your spare time, read Isaiah chapter 30, where these people no longer wanted to hear the goodness of God and the truth, okay? But they said, don't prophesy unto us rough things. They said, "Prophesy unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceit." And this is where many of us are today. They don't want to hear the word of the God of God. They want to hear smooth things. They want someone to tickle their fancies and give them fables and false hope. Why? Because they want the joy of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit, which is God's joy. Okay, so you know, in your spare time, read that. Look at verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children, unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many um, other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this onward generation. So you see what Peter's telling them? Save yourselves from this onward, this crooked and perverse generation, okay? And that's what we're trying to bring now, you know, to let people know you need to be saved from this crooked and perverse society, okay, that is evil because it's leading you away from God's joy. So verse 41 says, Than they that gladly received his word. That word for gladly is that word chara, which is joy. Okay, and it says they received his word and were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So you see, it's only recognizing that you're a sinner, that you need God's joy in your life. Godly sorrow is what makes you repent. Sometimes you got to preach a person damned. You got to preach a person lost. You got to preach a person going to hell before they understand what the joy of the Lord is, why it's important, and why should we be joyous? Because we've been saved from eternal condemnation. So he says, and look at verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done of the apostles, and all that believed were together and had all things common. So you see, God wants us all to reach the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Why? So that we might be like Christ and do the things of Christ and, and just being grateful in what he wants. We should have all things common. There's no such things as denominations. There's no such things as once saved, always saved doctrine. These people were involved in the apostles doctrine. There was no prosperity doctrine. You see, because all those things give you false joy and hope, but it's not the gospel. And if you follow the wrong gospel, it will lead you unto hell. You'll have a false joy. You see, the devil can make you be joyful all the way to hell. That's why it's important that we cling to God. Because you see, the devil will tell you, take a load off. Don't worry about the truth. Feel good. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. You see how the joy of the Lord is allowing them to to, do the will of the Lord and to love what God wants? But you see how we're stuck to many of the things we have? We wouldn't part our possessions to feed our neighbors. Why? Because we still want to be somebody. Look at verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness. There's that word chara, which means what? That means joy. So they were all breaking bread and eating meat with gladness. And singleness of heart, they were not selfish, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So you see, when you've got single hearted individuals that all have the joy of the Lord to praise him and worship him, not to indulge in self, God will move. Because why? The joy of the Lord or that fruit of joy is in the individuals to do the will of God. Jesus said, if you obey him, that his joy may remain in us and we may be full of his joy. Well, this is what the fullness of the joy of the Lord is like, because they accepted the gospel. They repented and were baptized. They were taught to love their neighbor. They were glad that they were sinners and that they were saved. You see, so this is where the true joy lies, and in being a partaker of what God wants for us, that we may reap eternal life. Okay, so um, in your uh, let's go to Hebrews twelve. I want to hit these scriptures pretty quick. Let's go to uh, no, actually James one. Well, matter of fact, we can go to Hebrews twelve. Sorry, Hebrews twelve, and then we're going to go to James one real quick, and we should be able to conclude. Okay. actually doing better on time than I thought. So this is Hebrews 12. Let's look at verse one. He says, "Wherefore, seeing We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So you see, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Those who overcame. Those who believed God those who the joy of the Lord strengthened and allowed them to do the things that God wanted them to do. He says, so because of that, we should lay aside every weight and the sin thereof and run this race with patience. How many weights have you and I got tied to our backs, our careers, you know, our marriages? I'm not saying don't be married and don't have a career. But what i'm speaking of these things have become so much to us that we can't serve god to the fullness of his capacity you see so these things become weights and they have sin attached to them because you see it's not just a weight do you idolize these things do they become sin are they taking time away from god which adds to sin because if god is commanding you to do a thing and you're tied up with these weights from the world How can you obey God and do what God says? So he says, look at verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross. So you see what the true joy is? The joy that is set before Jesus was enduring the cross. Why, Jesus? Then it says, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. So you see, Jesus was elevated in the father's eyes because the joy of the father was the joy of Christ. Look at verse three, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, uh, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So you see, unless you remember what Jesus did, how an innocent man, an innocent God man went to the cross for you and I, who were guilty, you know, we should have joy. He says to remember this, lest we become wearied like we are in the world and faint in our minds. We can forget this goodness of Jesus. Yet have not yet resisted unto blood. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. He says, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. What is he doing with the scourging? God is purifying us that we may bring forth fruit. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So we've got to go through the chastening through the, you know, God spanking your butt when you do wrong. Why? Because God wants you to be right. That's what this is about. And then he says, um, you know, that if you don't deal with the chastisement, you're a bastard and not a son. So he says in verse nine, furthermore, have we. I mean, we have the fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for, the, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So why does God do what he does with us with all this correction? He wants us to become partakers of his holiness. Now, imagine being a rat or a pig or a dog returning to his own vomit as I was, but to now hear the truth in Christ that we may be saved, that I can be a partaker of the holiness of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords, of the creator that is. Man, that gives me joy, unspeakable joy, because God decided to want to give me what I don't deserve. Look at verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. So it doesn't seem joyous at first, guys, when God brings correction, as we're trying to bring tonight. But it but it appears grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So if you want any of the fruit, including the one we're talking about tonight, the joy of the Lord You've got to deal with the correction so that we may partake in his holiness, that he may bring forth these peaceable fruit, these righteous fruit that we may be like Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. James chapter one. Let's look at verse one. It's right next door. I'm sorry to be rushing, but, you know, I don't want to be pushed for time. So this is James one. And let's look at verse one. It says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, look at what he says. Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. So you see, when the devil tries to tempt us like he did Jesus and like he did so many, including Adam and Eve, we should count it all joy when we fall into these things, when the devil tries to tempt us. Why? Because this is only a test that God means for us to succeed that we may do what he says. But imagine if we didn't have God's joy. So the moment we see things that don't look happy, that don't look good, that don't seem to appease the flesh, we'll walk away from them. Whenever we begin to think about self and you know, my self-preservation, you won't find it joy to do the things of God. You'll try and run away from them to preserve yourself. So he says in verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith work is patience. So you see, it's joy to allow the devil to tempt you because it's only going to give you more faith in God and patience. But it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So let the patience of God work on us, that we may be made whole, that we may bring forth Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. And then it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, gives it to you freely, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. So you see, that man without faith, he's driven like the wind. Whichever way false doctrine go, you go. Whatever way that the true doctrine goes when you're in church, they go. You see, someone that stands for nothing will be subject to everything because he's not planted his feet or committed in one place or the other. So you see, this person is driven like the waves and tossed, just like children. But verse seven says, for let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So God doesn't want you double-minded. He doesn't want us lukewarm. He wants us to be sold out to one or the other. Either we are going to be a partaker of God's fruit, receive his correction, and be joyous, and be peaceable, and be loving, and be uh, meek, and all the other fruit that come with it, and full of faith in God, or we're going to give those false fruit, or the works of the flesh, unto the world. There is no in between. Many Christians have escaped adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and other things. But I'm telling you, the biggest sin that's going to bind people is going to be idolatry because these people have not allowed God to define it. And to show them, if you don't love him first and foremost, if we don't obey God, if we don't do the things that God wants, then I can tell you you're an idolater because there's something you're giving more to than you're giving God. And I don't care who doesn't like that. That's the truth. Okay. last scripture of the night. We're going to go to first Peter, chapter one. And let's look at verse one and we will conclude from there. got to have God's joy in order to do the things of God, because if not, we're going to count it as grievous. We're going to count it as God being unfair and unloving. You're going to misunderstand God if you don't have God's nature. All right, so this is 1 Peter 1, and let's look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. So you see they're the elect according to who? The foreknowledge of God. God knows who's going to be saved, but then he makes clear here through sanctification of the Spirit. So we need the Spirit to sanctify us to bring forth these fruit Unto obedience, we've got to obey God, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ is to understand the purpose of salvation and be grateful to God, to accept his gift of salvation, not to play around, but to be made right for God, you know, and being covered by, by Jesus Christ through obedience. You see, we're not covered by the blood if we disobey God. We're covered under of the blood when we walk in the spirit and we have accepted Jesus Christ, not just as savior, but as Lord. When someone's your Lord, you do what they tell you to do. Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you see, we're blessed of God the Father in Jesus Christ according to God's abundant mercy. It's going to take God's mercy to get us through this in His grace because, you know, we sin before God daily. What we need is to allow God to work with us in spirit that we become sanctified, that we can have that lively hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, you've got to believe that Jesus died, he buried, he was buried and resurrected. We serve a true and living God. We walk in a new and living way. You see, we're not a part of the dead. We're a part of the life because we're born again. So you see, that which is alive can't be a partaker of that which is dead. That which is dead will beget death. That which is alive will beget life. So we've got to question and ask ourselves, do we really walk in the joy of the Lord? How many Christians have we led to Jesus? Are we walking in the life of Christ or are we disconnecting from that vine and just becoming a religious withered branch? You see, the true life of Christ is going to spring forth in those trees that bear his fruit. Look at verse four to an inheritance, uncorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So man, that's a beautiful thing. We're gonna have an uncorruptible and undefiled inheritance that won't fade away. Now, some people could say, well, I got a good inheritance here. My family left me a lot of money. Yeah, but you're gonna be spending that money. And and we all know that death is the great equalizer. You can't take any of that stuff with you. But you see, those who are of God, They will have an incorruptible inheritance and it can't be defiled by men. Okay, look at verse five, who are kept by the power of God. That's by the spirit of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So those who are kept by the spirit of God through faith unto salvation. When it says unto salvation, it means that we're saved, but we've got to stay saved him that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Paul says that we are not of them who draw back. He says, if any man draw back, my soul will have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them that draw back unto what? The saving of the soul. So salvation is not just something that we tap into that God gives us and we accept. It is also a process that we must continue in salvation. It's just like if you're on a, in, a, in a river and you can't swim, okay, and you're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. If someone were to grab your hand in the water and lift you up to safety, then you're saved. But if you jump back in the water, okay, and you, and you decide to stay there or you go there, but the ship is continuing to go forward and not going back for you, then you see you're not saved. Okay, so we must remain with that lifeboat, with that tree of life, which is Christ, in his joy, in all humility. Okay, because he means to do us good. Someone that doesn't have the joy of the Lord inside of them don't even recognize what they've been saved from. And that's what we need to preach and teach to people that they may have an understanding of what we've been saved from so that we can ever be grateful with joy. In Christ, look at what he says in six, wherein ye greatly rejoice, not just rejoice, we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So you see the trials and these things are coming after you. So you're feeling heavy, but you still have that great rejoicing because you know that all of this that you're going through is not for nothing. This is that we may be with Christ in the end. Verse seven says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth through it um, be tried, I mean, though it be tried, sorry, with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, I can only imagine how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt When they stood for God and they were thrown in the fire and that they were faithful unto the end of that trial, that Nebuchadnezzar was now humble before them. Man, that must have filled them with joy to know that they serve a true and living God. Why? Because they believed that he was God and they believed that he would deliver them. And if he didn't, they said they are not going to serve the king, which was representative of the Antichrist. Okay, so you see, look at verse 7 again, that the trial of your faith, we go through manifold temptations and heaviness, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, that we be tried with fire. So what is the precious gold that perisheth? Those are the desires of the world that you and I live with that we think are more important than God. You see what we can give over or, or accept from the trial of our faith. You see, there was a God 2000 years ago named Judas Iscariot that thought he could get away with this. You see, Judas also believed if I take 30 pieces of silver, although I betray Christ, I'm going to be okay. Many Adam and Eve thought that all they had to do was partake of the fruit and they would still not just be gods themselves, but still be good with God. They bought into the lie, but he says here, That the trial of your faith is more precious than the gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at verse eight, whom having not seen ye love in whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So, man, it's amazing how we're going to be mocked in the future. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulation. We're going to have all these things happen in our lives. But if we keep the joy of Christ and we allow that fruit to be grown in us, whether times are good or bad, and we become made whole, full of good fruits of God and led by his spirit. Man, the very day that we're there laying in the ground. And the Lord from heaven comes and we are raised and will be like him and we will put on glorified bodies. The Bible says we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye and at the last trump. Man, that's going to fill me with joy unspeakable that all this wasn't for nothing. But the question remains, do we believe? Do we truly have this fruit of joy? Because you see, joy is joy whether times are good or bad. So, you know, that's the message tonight. And I want people to have an understanding of what joy is. It's not just in times of good. It can also be in times of sorrow. Why? Because it is the very nature of Christ that we are to grow within us. Letting the Holy Ghost bring us to this place of joy unspeakable, that no matter what, we're going to do the things that God wants. And what there's nothing more joyous to God then have obedient sons and daughters. And that's what we're going to have to go through and become overcomers that we may have that joy, which is a fruit of the spirit. Okay, so I just want to tell people with that, I love you. I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And I believe we can go out in prayer and then we'll get right in. I mean, we'll conclude. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls, Lord, and lead us into the place of righteousness. We just thank you, Lord, for your spirit of teaching that you open the eyes and the ears of those who can't hear. That these words will stick to the listeners, Lord, that your anointing will pierce through. That they may have that godly sorrow which leadeth unto repentance. We also pray for your joy, Lord. We pray for your peace. We pray for all your fruit that whether times are good or bad, we won't know the difference, because we will truly be consumed by you doing the things that are glorious in your eyes, that you may tell us one day, thou good, welcome in, thou good and faithful servants. So Lord, we just thank you, we praise you, we love you, and let us ever be joyful for the fact that you pulled us out of hell, that we may walk with you we pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for tonight. You know, again, the, the teaching was the joy of the um, the Lord. I mean, the joy, uh, sorry, the fruit of joy. And this was the eighth part. The ninth part we're going to resume tomorrow, which is going to be the, uh, the fruit of faith, which will be our final part in this series. And then we can get back to other teachings. But you know, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. So I love you all. Give your life to Jesus while there's time that he may grow those peaceable fruit. Until next time, have a good night.